0: Amen. How about a little applause for some courage tonight for people? So good. Almost makes me want to not preach my message on tithing. Just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, just a couple of things before we get in. Happy birthday to Tristan and Owen. I don't know if they're here tonight. We've not done giveaways in a a long, long time, but uh, here's a couple of Starbucks gift cards for them if they're here. If if you're not Tristan and Owen, we know that, so you stay in your seat. Don't be stealing from children. Don't be stealing. Is this him coming up? Come on! Hey! Grab these cards. Grab these cards. Grab these cards. You guys are awesome. you guys don't have the same birthday, do you? All right, just kidding. Just kidding. They're twins. They're twins. Those are dad jokes, if you didn't know, and they're funny. Oh, and they're funny. Hey, next week, if you call City Life Church your home, if you're watching online, you need to be a part of this service next week. Next week's our anniversary service, 15, 15 years. Fifteen years. Church, come on. Fifteen. So I'm going to be preaching a sermon that says, where do we go from here? I think we all understand this is, has been a riotous year for all of us, and so I feel like God has, has given some things to me that I'm supposed to share to talk about our path forward as, as, a, as a congregation for just this vision and this dream that we have for oneness and unity and harmony in the role that we're supposed to play and the cost that we're going to continue to pay for that for that dream. So you make sure you that is a, a you do not want to miss that service weekend. So if you've got to change some plans, you change some plans and you and you join us, you join us. This is the last in the series me and mine. It's a little three-part mini series that we've been doing. I know that it's challenged me personally. I trust that it has you too. The, the song that I have not been able to get out of my head all week is from the sound of music. These are a few of my favorite things. I know. Now, I'm sharing that with you because so, misery loves company, and now that song is in your head. I will not sing it. I thought about singing a part of the chorus, but then that would be even worse for you because you definitely don't want me the sound of me singing it because that would not be the sound of music. These are a few of my favorite things. When the dog bite, when the beast stings, you know what I'm talking about? These are a few of my favorite things. Oh, all right, that's all you get. That's all you get. Who, who said that? Who said that over there? Who said that saying? Oh, don't encourage me. I do not need encouragement for trouble. Oh. I will tell you that tithing and fasting I kid you not, are two of my favorite things as a devoted follower of Christ. They are two of my favorite things as a devoted follower of Christ. And the reason they are, because they changed my life. They changed my life. They, they changed my life, and I'm, I'm talking about it as part of this series because we're, we're fasting now as a church, and then I, I want to talk about tithing tonight, because those two things, more than anything else in our lives, deal with this disease of humanity called me and mine. If you show me someone who struggles with selfishness, if you show me someone who struggles with self-control, if you show me someone who struggles with this sentiment of me and mine in their life, I will show you someone that struggles with tithing and someone who struggles with fasting. I guarantee you, because if you deal with with your appetite for survival, which is what eating is, right? This idea of hungry, don't forget, is by God's design for your body to say to your brain, you're dying, you should eat something. And if you can deal with that appetite, and then if you can deal with your appetite for material things, I'm telling you, you can conquer every appetite in your life. Every appetite in your life. I've shared this story before, soon after I became a devoted follower of Christ, I graduated from college, it was in December of 1990, I graduated from college in 1989, and uh, my, my life was, was, was quite the story of the prodigal son throughout my college years and leading up and soon after. And so I went to, and the, 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 the group of friends that I was with, my fraternity brothers, I, I quickly became the designated driver, you can appreciate why that was. And my, one of my closest friends in college, I was a, the best man in his, in his wedding, and he got married a, a year or so after, after school, and he was having a bachelor party. Somebody was hosting it, one of my fraternity brothers up in Northern Virginia. And, um, and, and while I was there, they were showing a video. It was actually a VHS tape in a VCR. You can explain to your children what that is. And, and on it, someone had had a, a camcorder A couple of years prior, at another bachelor party that I was also at. And I was all all over this tape, all in it. And I'm watching it there in the room and seeing the person that I used to be. I was embarrassed, I was ashamed, but then all of a sudden, I had the most incredible feeling. I was excited because I knew that that was by God's design to remind me that he had transformed me and rescued me from the life that I used to live. In that moment, I felt, I mean, I felt what we've already talked about in John chapter three, that I was born again, born anew. And I felt in that moment fresh fresh And I will tell you that I did many things and the praxis booklet that I wrote a couple of years ago is really the story of my own journey of redemption and transformation that 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 was the beginning of how life changed for me and tithing and fasting became an immediate part of my journey I fasted every Thursday that first year in 1991 that I had made a decision to to made a vow of devotion to Christ. That that every single Thursday I fasted the whole entire year. I was a part of a young men's Bible study on Thursday night with the youth pastor, with some other volunteer youth leaders. That's where I plugged into the church. And and, and, and Scott, one of my good friends, he would come every Thursday night. And he would have this huge styrofoam container because he would come right after he got off work that was just overflowing with food. Overflowing. Always set right next to me. I was like, Scott, you know I'm fasting, right? And he'd, like, he'd say, yeah, you know I'm not, right? So every Thursday, right? I, I see that, right? You're, 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 you've not eaten all day. You're hungry. But something inside of you begins to realize that you have got to learn to say To your impulses, you are not in control of me anymore. I didn't have a lot of money then. I was a college graduate trying to make it on my own. But I knew 10% of everything that I make, I'm going to give. And I did. And I've been doing it ever since. I love preaching about tithing because I spent 10 years in corporate America before I crossed over into vocational ministry. I sat right where you're sitting and i was just as passionate about it then as i am today and just as faithful in it today as i was then you have got to be willing to do the hard things to conquer me and mine in your life if you're going to become the person that god has created you to do and if you're going to fulfill if you're going to fulfill the dream that he has for your life a couple of weeks ago I shared out of Revelation 17, and that striking picture of the harlot on the beast drunk on the, the cup of the blood of the saints, it's, right, and, I, and I talked about it, it's, that's representing the martyrdom of Christians, but it's not just representing the martyrdom. This idea of the, 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 the blood of the saints is a picture of, of the devil trying to destroy the righteousness of Christianity. And you've got to decide what cup you're going to drink from in this life. I shared with you this statement, following Jesus has never been just about the acceptance of something true. Following Jesus has always been about the submission of all of me to all of Him. And it's time for us to say to parts of our lives, catch up. Catch up! Some of you have to say to your finances and your practice of generosity, it's time to catch up. I'm preaching this at the beginning of the year because 2021 can be a year where you say to your generosity, we're catching up. We're catching up. I so appreciated Pastor Justin's message last week. This is one of his quotes from that. The accumulation of assets without gospel context will create a God complex. Come on, that's good. It's not the percentage that pleases God, but generous, open-handed posture of the heart that gives it we're going to talk about the percentage what it represents why the it's not the percentage but why the percentage is part of pleasing god's heart i love that he read out of randy alcorn i'm going to be reading from a quote from that tonight the treasure principle amazing book randy alcorn phenomenal author says giving affirms christ's lordship it dethrones me and exalts him that's what fasting does too. When you deny yourself, you're affirming Christ's lordship, it dethrones me and exalts him. We, there's got to be a pattern. This is, that's why this moment was so important tonight. Some of you dethroned yourself when you came and knelt at this altar tonight. The work that you've got to do is to not kick Jesus back off of the throne that you gave him to just a few minutes ago. You've got to keep dethroning yourself for the rest of your life. You've got to keep exalting him for the rest of your days. I want to talk about five perspectives on tithing tonight. There are, I'm, I'm going to read them each to you if you don't have a chance to write them all down. And also, don't forget our notes are always online. But there's a principle, a priority, a percentage, a promise, and a place. A principle, a priority, a percentage, a promise, and a place. I'm going to start with a principle. A principle. See, the principle of tithing is not based on the tithe itself. It's based on divine ownership. That's the principle that gives birth to the tithe. Psalm 24, 1 through 3 reads this way. I read it to you a couple of weeks ago. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean's depth Who may climb the mountain of the Lord, who may stand in his holy place? This is important because if you approach tithing from the perspective that the tithe is his, you can easily adopt a mindset what remains is yours. And it's not, it's all of his. And he has a plan for how all of it's supposed to be used. See, the principle of tithing begins with understanding that everything we have belongs to God, not just the 10% we give back. And when I say everything, I'm not just talking about materially, I'm talking about immaterially. Your giftings, your, your natural abilities, everything that you possess belongs to Him. It's His. It's His. The idea of stewardship and generosity, which is two of our pathways, if you're visiting here tonight or if you're not visiting here tonight, you've never gotten a copy of that, somebody in a blue shirt will give it to you, it's free. People misunderstand stewardship and generosity, they are not synonyms. Stewardship is the idea that everything that you have belongs to God and He has a plan for what you're supposed to do with everything that you have. Generosity is a part of stewardship. It's a pathway on its own because it's such a significant part. But generosity is the idea that of that which you possess, what you're supposed to give away. Tithing is just a part of generosity. I'm not going to read these for sake of time, but they're going to come up onto the screen. Romans 15, 25 to 26 talks about giving to missions. Every year we do these faith promise cards. I hope you turn it in. You don't don't put your name on it, but it helps us set our missions budget. We have missions organizations and, and missionaries that are on a waiting list and every year we'll be we're able to bring people off the waiting list because of your monthly missions giving. That's beyond the tithe. Proverbs 28:27 talks about giving to the poor. There should be margins in your budget. You should have margins in your budget. So that when there's a, an opportunity or a need that you can step in and help in unplanned ways. Exodus 36, 3-7 talks about there's times where God wants you to be a part of projects. Anybody heard of a story about a church being gifted a $3.5 million property debt-free a year and a half ago? It's called the City Life Church. I know. It was debt-free. It was not problem-free. You understand the difference? Over the next few years, there's going to be times where we do little, little campaigns to renovate spaces and to meet needs above and beyond the tithe. Matthew 23, 23 is a critical verse in Scripture because it's in the New Testament, and it's Jesus by his own words affirming the practice of tithe. It says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, Hypocrites! For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe, listen to that, Jesus, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. That's Jesus himself by his own words. Now there are lots of different ideas and beliefs about whether or not tithing is for today. This is one of the verses that's important for me for why I believe that it is. But I've heard arguments that say that tithing is not for today that I can respect. I don't agree with them, but I respect them and I can see how they got there. But I guarantee you this, every valid argument that talks about tithing not being for today, none of those arguments that are valid use them as an excuse to actually give less than the tithe. See, when you look at all of the Old Testament that flows into the New Testament, there are three distinct categories by which everything falls, everything you can put into one of these three categories. Some, we've gotten rid of altogether by God's will, His plan. There was, a, there was a, a change. We don't do animal sacrifice anymore, right? We call that grilling. <laughs> some, some, the way that it happened then is exactly the way that it's supposed to happen now. Psalmic worship is an example of that. Different technology, different kinds of instruments, but psalmic worship that is as ancient as the beginning of time is a part of Christianity today. Prophetic, loud, band-driven, impassioned celebration of God, psalmic worship. If it doesn't fall into one of those two categories, it falls into the third, where Jesus kicked the lid off of it and he raised the standard higher. That's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. All throughout that, Jesus is like, oh, You thought the Mosaic law required something of you? Let me tell you what I expect of you now. Whatever you believe about tithing and giving financially, you got to jump into one of those three if it's biblical. Some of you are like, wow, 10% doesn't sound so bad after all. Number two, a priority. Now, I'm going to talk about a priority, but I think I'm going to talk about it in a different way than you expect, because I think that you're used to hearing people talk about tithing being a priority because it should be the first thing that you do, but I'm going to talk about it from a different perspective. I've talked to you about the principle that tithing flows from. I want to talk to you about the priority, the priority. See, the priority, the reason why tithing is so important is because your priority is supposed to be for the heaven that is to come, not just for the earth that is now. Tithing is one of the ways that you store up your treasures in heaven. Who said that? Jesus. Matthew 6, 19 to 21, it says, don't store up your treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Tithing, in many ways, is an invitation by God to create an eternal savings plan. We believe in saving for retirement. We teach people that. Why would you believe in the principle of saving for a retirement that lasts but a moment, but you invest nothing in your forever? Thank you, Cortez. (laughs) Randy Alcorn. If you imagine heaven as a place where you will strum a harp in endless tedium, you probably dread it. But if you trust Scripture... You will be filled with joy and excitement as you anticipate your heavenly home. As I've written elsewhere, he wrote an entire book on heaven heaven will be a place of rest and relief from the burdens of sin and suffering, but it will also be a place of great learning. I believe all of this activity, artistic expression, exploration, discovery, camaraderie, and service. All of that is throughout Scripture. Some of us will reign with Christ, with authority. Faithful servants will be put in charge of many things. He gives Scripture references along the way here. Christ will grant some followers leadership over cities in proportion to their service on earth. Scripture refers to five different crowns suggesting leadership positions. Some will even command angels. Come on. We are given these eternal rewards for doing good works, persevering under persecution. He gives Bible references for all of these. Showing compassion to the needy and treating our enemies kindly. Some of you got demoted this year just because of that last one. Myself included. Giving financially is a priority, not not because of the age-old adage that you've got to do it first. I'm not opposed to that. I'm just saying that that's incomplete. The priority of tithing is about you shifting your mindset away from just this temporal life and this temporal existence into the eternal one that lasts forever, lasts forever, people. A principle, a priority, a percentage. So why does the percentage matter? Why is the percentage important? I believe that you can reach back into the Old Testament, and we come to Leviticus 19:9 9 through 10. You see it also in Leviticus 23:22. I'm just going to read the chapter 19 reference. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land, remember, industry was almost exclusively agriculture in the Old Testament. Not completely, but almost. Listen to the command of the landowners. Do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields. And do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines. And do not pick up the grapes that fall on the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners that are living among you. Because foreigners did not own and possess land according to the Mosaic law in ancient times. And then he says, I am the Lord your God. That's God saying, because I said so. As parents, it's biblical when we say that. Right here, Leviticus 19. Because I said so. Now you've got to believe that there were times where landowners are looking at all of the corners of all of their fields and all of the grapes that are left on the vine, and everything that's been on the ground. And their appetite for things was no different than ours. They were just as selfish as we are today, just as hungry for the advancement of standard of living. Time has changed. Human nature has not. Do you think that maybe some of them begin to calculate what they could buy, what they could have, what they could do if they were to just gather all that up. It represented a significant means of advancement for them. But God said, leave it alone. That's not for you. It's not for you. See, I believe that 10% is an important number, and I believe that it's the reason why God said it is because The tithe should require from us a sacrifice. You see, if it doesn't feel sacrificial, the principle of redemption is never fulfilled. I'm going to explain that to you. I'm going to say that again. If it doesn't feel sacrificial, then the principle of redemption is never fulfilled. See, this idea of the corners of their fields and the grapes on the vines and everything that was on the ground, you should know this was not their tithe. This was above and beyond their tithe. Tithing was beyond all of this. The whole idea of the Mosaic law was to instill in God's people a sense of living in a way that was others minded and eternally focused. Others minded. And eternally focused. We've taught our children since they were young that the primary principle that drives tithe with percentage is the practice of redemption. See, everything that you give by way of generosity with the right heart is a candidate for reciprocity. Reciprocity is different from redemption. Reciprocity means that you will reap what you sow. You will reap what you sow. That's in good things and in bad. Every penny that you give with the right heart and with the right motive, if it's not, that's another sermon for another time, you're a candidate for reciprocity. Tithing goes beyond reciprocity and steps into the realm of redemption. Exodus thirty-four twenty. A firstborn donkey may be bought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son because there's not an option there for murder. We understand that. Well, why am I reading you this? This is just one verse out of many, one verse out of many where we're being reminded of the principle of redemption when it comes to material things. The principle of redemption is important that we understand, and the tithe is the practice of redeeming the 90% 90 that remains. When we give the 10%, we're redeeming the 90% that remains so that it can be under the favor of heaven. I've been using this line for 20 years in pastoral ministry. I didn't come up with it. I heard somebody else say it, and I'm passing it on to you. 90% with God's favor is always more than 100% without it. I want to say it again. 90% with God's favor is more than 100% without it. God is not subject to mathematical principles. He created them, but he transcends them. Tithing is a promise. It is a promise. Number four. Malachi 3.10. Thank you, honey. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, that's just him reminding you again who he is. <laughs> says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. It is the only time in all of Scripture that he says that we are allowed to test him. In fact, everywhere else in Scripture, it says that to test God is a sin. Now, you tell me, if he's going to make one exception for testing, which one would you have picked? It's telling, isn't it? He picks this one. He picks this one. And he picks it right before 400 years of prophetic silence. We we love when we're digging into the New Testament to study, and myself included, the parts of the Gospels that are right at the end of Jesus' life, like the Last Supper, like the things that he said and did during the 40 days of post-resurrection experience at the beginning of Acts commands that he gave, because we understand that Jesus is saying, these are my last words. He's been teaching and preaching. I'm not, I'm not minimizing and belittling what he did for the prior three years. I'm just saying we understand by way of a chronological context that what's being said at the end carries a weight to it. The fact that God put that here in Malachi is important to us because this is God saying, I'm going to sign off for 400 years, just so you know. For 400 years. There was a prophetic drought in the world. John the Baptist was the person that God raised to break the prophetic silence. Now we understand why that is. Another sermon for another time. God's got a flare for the dramatic pause. Malachi brought an end to it. John the Baptist broke the silence to say Jesus has come. Now all the things that God could have focused on. And all that we learn about tithing and Malachi, this is God saying to you and to me, just one more thing before I'm quiet. I've always found it so instructive that God makes it personal. He makes it personal. As you read in Malachi 3, God keeps talking about himself. He doesn't talk about a principle or a truth or a command. He says, me. He says, me. Put me to the test. It's personal with him. See, you've got to decide, do you trust God's promises or not? You have to decide whether or not you believe him or not. Is he a truth teller Or not. Again, I'm not going to read them for the sake of time. You can get these notes again online. 1 Kings 17, 8-15. Sometimes God asks us to give even during a season of lack. Because God's promises are not season dependent. His promises are not circumstantial. So the idea of tithing travels through seasons of lack, and it travels through seasons of abundance. Exodus 36, 6 through 7, this is the story that pastors never read, ever, because it's the one where Moses tells people to stop giving. They just skip over that, and they move on to Malachi. Whether you're in a season of lack or a season of abundance, these texts are not specifically about tithing. I share them with you because as you read them, again, in 1 Kings 17, it almost seems insensitive what the prophet asks this widow to do. But it's important that we understand that us walking in the promises of God should have nothing to do with the circumstances that surround us. It has everything to do with trusting the one who made the promise to us as his children. The last one is this. I call it a place. A place. Where do we give our tithe? I want to talk to you about this. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says this. On the first day of each week, you should each put aside a portion of the money that you have earned. Don't wait until I get there and try to collect it all at once. I'm going to read this statement to you. This is important to me because I want you to hear me clearly. If you're scrolling on Facebook, just close that app just for a moment. The culture of city life is to tithe to the house. That's the church that you call home. Listen to me. Because we refuse to teach at a degree of specificity that exceeds the exactness of the text. Let me read that again. The culture of city life, and the culture is important here. The culture of city life is to tithe to the house. Because we refuse to teach at a degree of specificity that exceeds the exactness of the text. I do not believe, other people will differ, I'm just sharing with you my study and what we teach as a church, that the New Testament, I believe, makes a clear, as I've shared with you tonight, that tithing is for today. But nowhere in the New Testament does it say that your tithe is supposed to go to the church that you call home. But it doesn't mean that it can't be the culture of the church that you call home. And it's the culture of our church here. And the reason why it's the culture of our church here, let me me, me share with you a couple of these thoughts. It's part of the culture here because we have a deep and abiding belief that society needs churches to have professional clergy that are fully resourced and staffed to meet a community's spiritual needs. Let me read that again. It's the culture here because of our deep and abiding belief that society needs churches to have professional clergy that are fully resourced and staffed to meet community's spiritual needs. I believe that's important for us. That we do not lose sight of, of the significance that what it means for a church to have full-time staff as this church has always had and I hope will always be able to have. People that are readily available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to step in to crisis for people's lives. It's vital. I believe that it's part of the culture here because we believe that when you go to a church, you're receiving from that church. And you should be giving back in proportion to the measure that you're receiving in turn. It's important. It's important. We believe that tithing to the house is significant so that you can feel as though that I've given to that which I have received. And listen to this, this is the third one I want to give you. I'm gonna invite the somebody's gonna come up and play on the keys. So I have a few closing thoughts I want to share, going back to what happened earlier in the service. I believe it's important to to tithe and to give to the church that you call home. Because when you you pick a church to call home, it's a deeply personal thing. It means that you believe in the vision that they have, it means that you want to invest in the mission that they are undertaking. I'm going to share about that in great detail next week. Tithing is your way of saying, I believe in that mission. And I share that vision with you and I want to see it come to fruition. So I hope that this year is going to be a different kind of year for you financially. In fact, what I would encourage you to do, set aside February. If you think that you can't do it, try it for 30 days. Just try it. Why don't you put God to the test and see what he might do. Stand with me. Hey, before I share and pray and close, I just want to remind you to give instruction. At the end of every service, we now have people down front that are masked. We ask that if you come for prayer, that you would remain masked as well. We just we want to be safe with people and. Uh... But we just we, we set aside some time at the end of every service to, to minister to you personally in prayer. So that's part of how we're ending all of our services for our, our, our foreseeable future. So if, if you have some people here that you want to connect with and talk with, we ask that you would do that in the foyer. Don't do that in here. That if you want to stay in here, even if you're not going to come forward for prayer, that's okay too. But we just ask that you would remain, you would just maintain a posture of worship. You can just kneel where you are, you can worship where you are, but we just ask, respect the atmosphere that we're creating as we minister to people in prayer. Father, I pray for the people that were here tonight and the people that have been watching at home. For those that had a Nicodemus encounter. All during that first worship set, Lord, and even while I've been up here preaching that, 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 that song that we sing sometimes that talks about not ankle deep, not waist deep, but all the way in. All the way in. I pray for every person that had a Nicodemus encounter tonight that they would s- stop being content with ankle deep. They, they would stop being content with waist deep. And they would be all the way in all the way in, all of the days of the rest of their lives. I pray, Father, for every person here that had a Nicodemus encounter, that some words that would describe them would be abandonment, recklessness, tenacity, and without regret, They would rush in with reckless abandonment into this life of being a devoted follower of Christ. Without fear of what others might think, without remorse for the sacrifice and the change that it will require. Without the concern of loss of station and title, that they would pivot, that they would pivot away from the temporal and towards the eternal. That they would pivot away from the temporal and towards the eternal. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said together. Amen. We'll see you next week.